Hello, you're listening to Ending Physician Overwhelm, and I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a physician and a life coach for physicians and other professionals. In this podcast, we look at why, as physicians, we often get stuck in feelings of overwhelm, anxiety, and burnout, and how we can break out of toxic thought patterns. My hope is that each episode gives you an opportunity to heal and get more clear on how you want to show up in your life and your work. And now, let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode. I have another special guest with me today, the amazing Dr. Lara Hockman, aka the medical matchmaker. Dr. Hockman is a family medicine physician and physician advocate, and she is the CEO and founder of Happy Day Health, a boutique physician matchmaking agency where she matches doctors with well-run, physician-owned private practices where they can avoid burnout and enjoy practicing medicine again. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So um, we're going to dive right in. And in the coaching world, people talk about um, becoming the kind of coach that they needed a few years earlier when they were really struggling. So I'm wondering if you will share the story of um, burnout uh, amidst your clinic being bought up by a large hospital system. Yeah. So I was in a private practice and working what we all know we do as physicians. I was working hard, charting at night, charting on weekends, you know, being on call after hours and getting plenty of calls. And, and I had two very young kids at home. So I was pretty, pretty burned out. The The clinic itself actually was great to the physicians. Um, my contract was very fair. Um, but as, at one point, the clinic was bought out, the practice was bought by a large hospital system. And at that point, I, I spent a little bit of time deciding if I wanted to join them at all. And what I realized was, yeah, I mean, I love practicing medicine, and I love my patients, and I couldn't imagine leaving them. And so I figured, yes, let me speak to them and see if maybe I can go super part-time so I can still see my patients, still work in the practice that I enjoyed working in. So so when the time came to speak with them, they they, you know, they were telling me all the great things about working for their large system. And and when I asked what their non-compete was, they totally glossed over the question. And mm-hmm. so again I had to ask, and what's your non-compete? <laughs> And eventually they answered and they told me this extremely large number for two years. And I said, well, I'm not going to sign anything that has that non-compete. And they did not hear me and they kept talking and I kept saying, I'm not signing that non-compete. What else can you offer? And eventually at the end of a very long meeting, one of the people in the meeting said to me, well, you know, just thinking outside the box, what if you work for us in a different capacity, like as a 1099 or as a something else. And so, you know, we ended the meeting saying, okay, you send me all the different things about the different uh, options and I'll pick one. So there were three different types of contracts, which was already surprising. 
And I said, great, I'll pick the second option. And they said, wait, you don't want the first option? Like surprised, <laughs> even though I had said maybe 10 or 15 times, I'm not signing your non-compete. Yeah. And they just didn't hear it. And, and I ended up actually not signing because the second option had an intellectual property clause that pretty much said that everything I do belongs to them ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that I agree to their policies and procedures, which may change from time to time. And they wouldn't negotiate that at all. And I even had a lawyer rewrite it in a very fair way that said this company that I own, which was not happy to health. This is another um, company that I own and did own back then. And the lawyer wrote in something like, you know, I will, you know, this company belongs to me. It's called self recovery, self recovery belongs to me. They do not own self recovery. I will not work on it on their equipment during mm -hmm. their time mm -hmm. on their premises and just a big carve out for this one particular company only, and they still mm -hmm. wouldn't sign that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not gonna give my company to the them and I'm not taking that risk. So that's when I walked away. And, mm -hmm. and at that time I felt pretty hopeless about the future of medicine. And I just thought medicine was going in the wrong direction. And so when I walked away from that contract, I didn't plan on going back to medicine. And so I had a lovely summer off with my kids thinking, <laughs> I guess I'm a stay at home mom now. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I used to hate recruiters. Um, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about the way I used to feel about them. But I did get a message from a recruiter and about a practice that was hiring and it sounded really good. So I was curious and I contacted them and they drew me in and, and turns out I actually loved it there. So I went in mm. PRN thinking, you know, I still had that apprehension about getting back into medicine. So I joined PRN and after my first day I was sold. I was like, this is mm. it, this is amazing. And so I ended up going on with them permanently and loving it, loving it. And it absolutely, you know, it was one of the big pivotal moments that restored my faith in the future of medicine. Um, it was an innovative company and, and working similar to the DPC model, um, amazing colleagues, incredible patients. And I, I just remembered why I went into medicine. Yeah, well, I think that's so powerful. I think, I think many of us have had the experience of, you know, these situations where we're handed these contracts and people say, oh, it's, you know, it's no big deal. Oh yes. There's a little non-compete in there. And, um, you know, the intellectual property and, um, you know, maybe you get offered some money here or there for a takeout or takeover, I should say. And I think a lot of us just have this mentality of, well, it must be okay. Well, everybody else is signing it. Um, you know, it must, it, 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 I'll just sign it too. Cause you know, I, I certainly need this job. So I think that's just, um, it's just so remarkable to hear, you know, people really talk about, no, I really thoroughly looked at this and I really decided for myself, that's not okay. I'm not going to be, you know, kind of controlled in that way. Yeah. And it was, it was somewhat isolating because I didn't know anyone else that had done that at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and the other physician in the practice said exactly what you said. Well, I had to, and, and I just wanted to scream from the rooftops. No, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have and all the to. thousands of doctors <laughs> in the system, if none of you had signed it, they would be without a doctor. So <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. And, um, and so you were able to sort of step back in, um, after some lovely time off <laughs> with your kids, um, and get back to really loving medicine. And so what did that, 
what did that show you in terms of, you know, kind of the, the place as uh, being an important factor in sort of how you work and, and how you think of a career in medicine? It was huge. And it, it even redefined how I think of work-life balance. So up until that point, I had been chasing this ephemeral work-life balance idea mm -hmm. and never quite getting there. And I tried mm -hmm. working part-time, even more part-time, working, you know, two full days, working three half day. I mean, I tried everything and I never quite reached that work-life balance until I joined this place. And no matter what hours I worked, when I came home, I was happy and mm. I was able to be present with my kids. And I happily increased my hours because I loved being there. I loved the work that I was doing. And then when I went home, I loved being home and I loved being with my family as well. And so it redefined the way I see work-life balance, not so much as how much time you spend in each thing, but how much satisfaction you get in that. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was you know, huge for me because I finally had that work-life balance and I realized it wasn't about the time. It was about you know, work was a great break from my kids and kids were a great break from my work, but I really enjoyed each one of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, that was huge and being in a, an environment that was supportive and that supported me. And, you know, there were some people there who saw qualities in me that I didn't know I had, and they really developed me as a person. That was huge. I felt like I had a voice, you know, there was, there was a policy about, um, they did a good job with policies that nurses could follow where they wouldn't need a physician order. And I noticed a mistake in one of the policies because one of the, um, you know, it was the UTI algorithm had changed because of the resistance to antibiotics. And, you know, I knew who to tell and I told them and they changed it. Or, you know, if, if there was a policy about medication refills, I was able to change that. And it was, mm -hmm. it was great. Or if I needed extra time, you know, I had some patients who had some very serious issues that needed extra time. I could just, I didn't even not need to ask anyone. I could just block it, end of story. So that was really huge. I mean, that showed me how, how important our time is with patients and how important just where we work is and our, how supportive the environment is. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of opportunity for autonomy, which, you know, many of us have lost, especially in, you know, kind of employed roles and sort of big, um, you know, big institutions where there's a lot of drive towards no standard, standard, you know, everyone gets the same amount of time and it's too difficult to customize. Um, was there anything else about, about that practice that really stood out as um, making the difference for you in terms of feeling like you could love medicine again? Yeah, it was actually during my orientation on my first day of work, I sat down with my boss and the account manager and and I asked them questions about, you know, what do you do in this instance or that instance? And the answer was consistently, you do what's right for the patient. Mm. And and it seems so obvious, <laughs> but it was it was a very refreshing <laughs> and and surprising. And it's surprising that it's surprising. And yeah. and when I interviewed physicians to join our company as well, that, you know, similar questions, and I gave the same answer, you do what's right for the patient. And it's, it's sad that that's even a question. How is that even a question? 
you know, because in the big systems, that's not always the option. The option is you do what you're told or you do what the insurance companies tell you to do mm -hmm. and not use your clinical judgment. We trust you. Yeah, that's so good. And um, and so now you have this wonderful business um, where you help doctors find their way to new jobs where they can be happy and practice medicine the way they want to you know, as you had the opportunity to tell us more about how you got started and where you're at now. Yeah, the idea came, well, the initial idea that something had to be done was when I read that contract from the large hospital system. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what. And then after I joined this company that I really enjoyed, I recruited quite a few physicians to join us in that company. And some of them came from pretty bad situations and they were so happy and I, I totally get it because that was me as well and that was what i was hoping to do by recruiting them to the company um and then word spread and so i started helping some friends in in town do the same thing and so it just organically started from there and i realized gosh i can make a huge impact by helping doctors get out of these large abusive systems and into practices and hopefully you know if i if i can do this enough then the hospitals will wake up and start treating their doctors better so, you know, right now the practices have a very hard time attracting physicians because they don't have all the shiny objects that the hospitals have. Um, but the hospitals are burning physicians out and, you know, not all of them, but many are mm -hmm. burning physicians out and, and, you know, doctors are unhappy and leaving medicine entirely when really it's just needed, you know, you just need a change of scenery. Um, so, so I've started doing this where I help doctors find physician-owned private practices because I believe that if a physician is running the practice and they're practicing in the practice, then if you need some change in the practice, they're going to feel that need too. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not across the board. There's good and bad everything. But um, as a rule, I think physicians went into medicine to help people. And, um, and so, you know, we're the ones that should be deciding how to best do that. And especially if you're practicing medicine as well, you're going to want it to work for you. So it, you, you're going to do the same things for your employees, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, kind of that process. So if somebody comes to you, a doctor comes to you and they say, you know, I really feel like I need some help. I, I need a different job. I don't know what to do. What does it look like for them? So it depends on the person, of course, usually, um, you know, people we, will reach out to me either through my website or through LinkedIn, or I actually don't know how, but some people find my email address and <laughs> I may have given it to them. I don't know, but, but I get, you know, people reach out to me all the time and we have a conversation and I listen to what's working for them, what's not working for them in their current practice. And from there, it depends on a lot of things. So, so I have practices that I'm working with myself, those ones I've vetted and I believe they treat their physicians well. If they would fit within one of those practices, then I, I, you know, I can have them interview with one of the practices I'm working with. If I don't, then it can go one of two ways. Of course, I need to know what they're looking for. Um, and once I know, then I keep my eyes wide open. So. Um, if I know that they're looking for something very specific, then I just wait for that to come up or, you know, I can potentially go out and find it, but things are always popping up. So, um, you know, I, I will speak with a doctor and then three months later, just recently, actually, um, I have a doctor interviewing today at a practice. And this was a physician that I spoke with three months ago and then her perfect practice popped up. Mm. 
So either, you know, we can wait and see and wait for the perfect practice, or I have a network of, um, I've joined a network of recruiters. And so they have thousands of jobs available that are not necessarily posted anywhere. And so, you know, while I may not work for a hospital system, those jobs are out there. So I have some doctors who want to climb the corporate ladder or who want to be in hospitals. Those aren't going to be the practices that I work with. Um, but I have those available and I, I have that where I can kind of direct people to the right place. So, so it depends on the person and what they're looking for and what their timeline is. If they're willing to wait for the perfect practice, then, then we wait. And when something comes along, we pounce. And then they're the first one to find out about the practice. Um, if they're, you know, just really itching to get out, then, then I have other opportunities potentially. And of course it depends on what their specialty is and where they're located. And you also do work um, directly with the with the practices themselves, the private practices. And I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, sort of how you work on that side of things, because I think that's really unique. Yeah, I so I work with the practices. First, I get to know them pretty well um, to get to know who they are, what they stand for, what what is their culture and what are they looking for? Um, Because if I'm finding them a physician, I have to know who will fit within that practice. Um, so I get to know them pretty well. And then, you know, I'm there as a resource for them to know how to structure their contract in a way that's fair for the physician or how to attract physicians or how to really show what's best for them. Um, so I, I do speak with them a little bit, you know, before the interview, I say, this is the physician. And, you know, I tell them a little bit about them and, and I also help them figure out how not to lose their candidates. So very often, you know, we're busy, we're physicians, and especially if we're running a practice, um, we'll spend a lot of time spinning our wheels, especially since we're perfectionists. And um, physicians can get lost, candidates can get lost that way, because in the interim, they found another Mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time trying to, you know, ride people's butts and say, come on, we got to get moving, we got to get moving, (laughs) we're gonna lose them. If you love them, then let's get moving. Next step. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So I think I've heard a lot there. Um, you know, I was kind of ask you about, you know, sort of what's the difference between working with you and working with a conventional recruiter. And I hear, you know, not only from, you know, that practice side of, of really sort of helping to, to move them along and help them to create an attractive offer for the physicians, but also, you know, for the physicians themselves of like you having access to these networks as well as, you know, really their best interest in matching them with the successful practice. Yeah. And I do spend time speaking with the physicians, you know, a lot of doctors know what they want or don't know what they want and which mm-hmm. in case I can help out with that as well. Uh, but if they know what they want, I'll spend a little bit of time before the interview speaking with them about how to really ask the right questions, what to look out for, mm-hmm. um, because ultimately it's their decision. I, I'm not yeah. just going to plunk someone into into a practice. Um, but yeah, I spend a little bit of time helping them really get what they need out of the interview to make sure it's the right fit for them as well. Yeah. And showcase and know, what makes them the best. Oh, I know a lot of people will ask, how much does this cost for the physician? It doesn't cost the physician anything. Um, the practices that I work with are the ones that pay me. So i uh, yeah please reach out to me. If you're a doctor and you're unhappy, (laughs) you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. I think that's such a, such a tremendous um, service that you're providing for people. So I'm so glad that we get to talk about that today. 
Um, for my listeners who are out there and they might be feeling, um, you know, stuck or stuck in their job, they might be feeling overwhelmed and burned out and, you know, thinking really, I don't know what to do now. What advice would you give them? What do you want them to hear right now? I want them to know you're not stuck. You're not trapped. Even if you have a two year, 25 mile non-compete, you're not trapped. There's options. Um, you know, we have the fear of the known and the fear of the unknown. And often it's the fear of the unknown that keeps us stuck. So if you're miserable, you know, you can try to change what's first figure out what it is, but, and you can try to change what it is in your practice. That's, that's holding you back or that's making you unhappy. But ultimately if those things don't change jump ship, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to you. It's not worth it for your family. You can, you know, write out your non-compete by doing telemedicine, or if you want to travel and see the world, you know, do that. But, but you're not trapped, and it's it's certainly not worth your happiness and time with your family to be in a position where you're really unhappy. Yeah, I think that's such important news because you're you're absolutely right that I think so many people feel like, well, I have to do this, I have to do this job in this place in this way. And, and they feel like they don't have a choice, right? But we do have a choice. Um, we may need some help in figuring out exactly what those choices are. Um, and I know I've heard you talk about sometimes those non-competes are binding and sometimes they're not so much binding and can't be enforced. Um, but also just to really, you know, really open up our thinking about what are my, my options legitimately? Right, because I think a lot of people just imagine I'm going to be out on the streets. I can't support my family. Uh, people will think that I've gone crazy if I leave. You know, this job with benefits where I'm surviving. Yeah, barely. Yeah, yeah. and we don't we don't need to survive, right? We we survived the hard times in medical school and in residency. And I think so many times we just carry that mindset with us of like, well, I survived those things. So I guess I need to survive this too. And this is our life. Yeah. And, and yeah. another thing I see holding people back is our responsibility to our patients. Mm-hmm. I know for me, that was one of the hardest things about leaving practice. Absolutely. And I, I know, I know a lot of us feel that way where we feel responsible for our patients, but they're human beings and they don't want to us to be unhappy either. You know, if Mm -hmm. they knew what was going on under the hood, they would absolutely tell us to leave. And, and, you know, I think we feel so responsible for our patients and, and we feel very deeply for them. And so it makes sense, but they'll be okay. And you've, what you've done for your patient at this point, you've done it already. And so Mm -hmm. when they have a new physician come on, this new physician will be able to help them in other ways. And so, you know, we feel this responsibility and we feel like we can, we're the only ones that can take care of them, but really, you know, they're just going to be taken care of in a whole new way. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Shake it up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I am so glad that we had a chance to talk. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was great. And thanks for the work you do. Oh, sure. And let us know um, where where can people find you? I'm, I'm going to put in a plug here. I want you to pay special attention to the Instagram handle because you need to be following Dr. Hockman on Instagram. But <laughs> please tell us where we can find you. 
All right, well, I'll start with Instagram then. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's Happy Day MD. Happy Day MD. <laughs> Happy Day MD. And that's on TikTok too, Happy Day MD. Um, the, the best places to find me are um, LinkedIn. My name is Laura Hockman MD. And my website is www.happydayhealth.co. And those are the two best places to reach me as well. You can reach me through LinkedIn or through my website. There's a little contact form on there. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes so people can find you. Dr. Huffman, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. This was great. Okay. All right. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to Ending Physician Overwhelm. If you've learned something today or felt moved, please share this episode with a colleague and be sure to like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode yourself. If you'd like to know more about me and my coaching practice, you can find more information at www.healthierforgood.com. Until next time, take care.